0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Naked Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where I, your host, Dallas, and the other ones, I guess, read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel.
1: I'm Alexis, and I'm embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> i am fully clothed thank you very much so <laughs> see we, i was just gonna let it slide i was gonna tell no one that dallas is doing the podcast the way he is but nope he he opened with it so it is now fair game it is you know every finders keepers i guess it's it's whatever i'm done
0: one week after watching the x-men i'm fully clothed <laughs> two weeks after reading the x-men i'm in a real slutty little outfit Three weeks after reading the X-Men, I no longer have a shirt on. Y'all are doomed in week four.
2: Week four. Do you go full Claremont in week four? Just let me know. I need to... If we need a safe word beforehand, I just need to get that ready. (laughs) I'm coming out in a harness and a ball gag. Do
1: do we have any (laughs) guests for week four? I hope not.
2: No, it's just us.
0: And so... Anne will be, like, giving these deep thoughts about the personal (laughs) value of X-Men number seven to her. Alexis will be like, this was so incredible. And I'll be like,
3: (laughs) Because
0: I'll still try to be the most chatty person on this show. Uh But I will have a ball gag.
2: I'm just amazed how a ball gag turned you into Chewbacca. (laughs) Um, um there's someone else here by the way. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you might
0: say he doesn't have a shirt on. Could there possibly be a guest? <laughs> there is a guest. My good friend Doug from the beautiful comic book YouTube page for every kind of geek. Hey Doug. Thank you.
4: Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while.
0: It has. Um, longtime listeners of the show will remember Doug was one of our first guests we had on to talk about 52. Because he's a homie, and we love yeah. fifty-two, and so it was finally time to invite him back. Now that we could benefit him in any sort of way, <laughs> he was doing us a favor last time, and now we're coming together <laughs>
2: as equals. <laughs> Perfect. I'm so glad that Doug's on here. Doug was my favorite part about New York, by the way. That's just oh. undoubtedly just you know you're the best. You you're you're great. He's Is that also why on your last date
4: you you texted me saying Iron Man sucks? <laughs> That was our last like that was our last text conversation before you left.
2: Yeah, we should probably have another one. Yeah, Just not end on that note.
4: <laughs> um, it's good. It left an impression.
2: I always strive to. <laughs> so, what are we talking about?
0: <laughs> this week, we are all too comfortable with each other. And it's going to do well, but because we have a pretty meaty topic to talk about. We are discussing Mm -hmm. Chris Claremont and John Burns' The Dark Phoenix Saga, the pinnacle X-Men story, the one that everyone else has been homaging and running towards since it was written. Um, Does somebody want to talk a little bit about The Dark Phoenix Saga?
2: Everyone's jumping at the bit. I can do it. (laughs) I would love to. So the Dark Phoenix Saga was, um, I don't have the exact issue numbers off the top of my head right now, but it was a solid eight-issue chunk of the Uncanny X-Men. I believe it's like 128 through 136, and it's it's something like that. It's the story of how Jean Grey, who had in recent years gone from Marvel Girl to the new um, hero phoenix and had consistently seen this increase in her powers how she actually gets pushed over the edge and turned into the character known as dark phoenix and actually goes on a slight little tiny genocidal rampage and um it's the story of how she overcomes that how the x-men take care of it and the consequences from the fallout and it's a huge and cosmic story at the end, even though it definitely doesn't start that way, which is the thing that always surprises me the most about it.
4: Yeah, I guess even piggybacking off of that, um, the X-Men have been like a, a fun little thread that I've followed for a long time. I actually started reading X-Men through, uh, through the giant size special uh, right before the Claremont run happened. So it was it was really interesting coming back to that after all this time, because uh, I remember definitely reading it the first time I was way too young to like pick up on what was happening and revisiting it. Now it's it's wild even starting out just how much stuff it has going for it. Um, Even even in like the minor thread capacity, it's just everything is happening at once. It's a very big, very, like Dallas said, pretty meaty
0: story. What's crazy is that while the stakes get so big, it never loses the personal drama. And I think that is the ultimate strength of the Chris Claremont run. Was that no matter how gonzo crazy it got, how big the concept, it remained a soap opera that was about the characters. And so the Dark Phoenix saga is ultimately the conclusion of... The main characters up to that point in story. Like this is the series finale in quotes of Jean Grey and Scott Summers as intended by Chris Claremont. Um, Lex, this was your first time reading The Dark Phoenix Saga. It was. What did you think about it?
1: Well, I mean... To be honest, you texted me at the very beginning of the week and you're like, hey, you might not want to read this Sunday morning. It's kind of hefty. You might need to pay attention to what's going on. And so I like had that going in of like, oh geez. Like, I swear, if this is another 60s run of Spider-Man, I'm gonna quit the podcast and never be seen again. But I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it definitely had a lot of, like you said, like meat in there, but it didn't feel overwhelming and it didn't feel like it was too much or it was dragging on for a long time like I felt like it was a really quick read and that I got what it was trying to show me like to to get to me and so I really really liked it and I mean I've been familiar with these characters I've known them for a long time just from growing up and I liked it I thought I thought it was really cool to kind of see where the origin of the idea came from so I I really enjoyed it a lot
2: and Lexi, how many of the X Men movies have you seen?
1: Ooh, I definitely know I have not seen the Dark Phoenix movie.
2: Got it. Did I you see not. the other Dark Phoenix movie, The Last Stand? <laughs> I don't think
1: I've ever seen her in a movie.
2: Interesting. Okay, I just think I've to-
1: only ever seen First Class
2: okay, that's, that's a good one. You know, just start and stop on a high note. I like that. It's true.
1: Mostly just because Emma Frost was in it and that was all that I could handle. And I never wanted to watch anything ever again.
4: (laughs) Honestly, fair. Yeah. And it's actually really funny that you mentioned the movies because almost every other movie is the dark Phoenix saga (laughs) in some way. They really like that. And like coming back to it, I can see why just it, it does a lot with the most definitive team. And, um, I don't know. It's, I guess maybe it's because I've seen so many of those adaptations, but I was like completely blindsided with, um, just how, how much of a ramp up the story gets. how it's, it's still very personal, but it kind of steadily branches out into something huge and, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's I'm I'm been very fortunate. I haven't seen the newest Dark Phoenix movie. Um, heard okay. I didn't have to, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna leave it at that. But I do remember my first exposure to the story in any shape or form was um, X Men: The Last Stand. And comparing this experience to that, it's so completely and you know, pun intended, alien from that experience because there's so much more going on here. And there's so much more complexity to Jean's turn than there was in the movies. Because I feel in that original X-Men trilogy, Jean's fall from hero to villain was simply, oh, um, I got trapped under a lake and I guess a switch got flipped and um, <laughs> that's about it. And in this, there's actually this long process of her being continually like gaslit and pushed by an actual lunatic to to get her to this point where she snaps and when she snaps it's not immediate it's a slow thing that you see coming and you start to get those like nervous feelings about but then when it finally comes it's at a level that the movies at the time couldn't have possibly possibly translated in any way shape or form and that's just incredible and it's so incredible that like that entire issue her switch to dark phoenix happens in a single a single issue and all the devastation she reigns happens in just one comic book. And that's, for like modern standards, that's crazy to think about.
4: Yeah. It's, it's, it's very shell-shocking. Because in the oh, moment, yeah. you just go, oh. It feels that...
0: like a nuclear bomb in the run, honestly. Yeah. You know, like, you're like, build, build, build. And then a sudden flash of light and nothing will ever be the same. It's incredible. And I think... I, I mean, I love older comics because I feel like they have a density to them that mm-hmm. is sometimes missing. And I ultimately think something as silly as like the thought balloons, if you take those away, the Dark Phoenix saga is not as strong as it is. Because we have Scott telling us consistently in his thoughts, something is amiss, something mm-hmm. is wrong. And he's not expressing that to anyone else, though. And so there's not a group of people that are working to bring her down. It's only people that are working to ramp her up. And then her closest loved one who is so unsure of the power dynamic in their relationship that he's just watching in horror as she slides further and further away from the person that he knows and loves. And you don't yeah, get that without thought balloons.
4: It's very interesting that you bring up the thought balloons too. Cause I think like you get a lot more just beyond, um, Jean and Scott here, uh, like, because this is smack dab in the middle of Claremont's run, everybody kind of has their own stuff going on. And I think, I think that internal monologue really gives you a lot of flavor into each of the characters and their respective arcs. It, I think it all builds on the central story really well just because there are certain beats where these plots and these threads kind of intersect in very interesting ways. Like, um, perfect example, right. Is, uh, like my, my favorite guy, Colossus literally right before this, um, was a story called Proteus and he's like, he's forced to take a life, and it's the first time he's ever done that. And he's like visibly shaken by it. And that actually comes back in at the end where like they're, they're basically given an open to bring Jean down, but he can't bring himself to do that because he's still got this kind of um, inner conflict going with him. And you see that with a lot of other people too. Obviously Wolverine has his, you know his his Frank Millerisms going on, and there's that there's that one issue that's incredibly iconic where he tears his way
0: through everybody, and it um, was the moment that gave birth to Wolverine. Frankly. Oh yeah! Like prior to that, he was the smelly little dude in the corner, and then <laughs> he became the smelly little dude in the corner that was also a badass.
4: Yeah, and even beyond that. um, there was a lot that I I never expected that I got from storm in this issue. Storm has a really interesting past and you get kind of like the vaguest hints of that in this. And uh, I mean, it just goes to show you this is an ensemble and Claremont knew how to use it to the fullest.
0: Um, Lex, I think Chris Claremont is probably the best team writer that we've done on the show. Maybe ever of all time, frankly, like, Somehow everyone is a main character in the Chris Claremont Mm -hmm. comic. What did you feel about that approach? Did you feel like it was too busy? Did you like it?
1: No, because I feel like kind of to piggyback on what everybody's been saying. I mean, we definitely see like Scott's inner monologue of like what's going on. But the, I feel like – and I knew that that was kind of, like, the whole point of, like, he's like, oh, my gosh, Jean, like, the love of my life. She's going through something crazy. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, he just had his own inner monologue. But I also found it very interesting to find everybody else – like, to see everybody else's because he is not the only one that caught on to what was going on. And I think that was also very important. I think that's a really big part of teams as well because – I feel like that's something that easily gets lost in the fact that those teams and those people spend all their time together. There's no way that they don't end up caring for each other like family members. And I remember specifically there was a thought bubble um, from Storm where she was like, this is my sister. She's like, she is the sister I'd never had. Like there's something going on with her and I don't know what to do. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like that's just so... And like that's just so interesting to be able to see this these events from everybody's different lenses, which I feel like made it even more interesting to look at.
0: It makes it tragic. You yeah. know, you you it's a family losing their sister. It's not just mm-hmm. I feel like there were two deaths in comic books that like ring in my head constantly because i read them before i was cynical about comic book deaths you know and like jean gray dying at the end of the dark phoenix saga like shook me to my core i
1: gasped i gasped out loud
0: like because you're you've been trained that it's not gonna happen yeah because right? nobody could
1: do it nobody could do it
0: and then it does mm-hmm. and she's done it's bananas and, and then obviously, like, the death of Gwen Stacy mm. melted my brain. You know, I, like, I fully gasped when I, re- I read that story. I was like, she won't die. Oh, she did. Oh, no. Oh, rip. And I feel... But I, I feel like those deaths are different and in conversation with each other, you know? I feel like Gwen Stacy pretty famously is like one of the biggest fridgings in comics. Like she gets killed to further spider mans story. I don't think Jean Grey is fridged. Like this is the conclusion of Jean Grey's story. And that's an important difference.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is. I think there's a lot of discussion. We can definitely have it later about how it was handled and the deeper themes of Jean's fall from grace and how it was eventually resolved. Um, particularly in whether or not it takes um, the impetus away from her, whether or not it takes matters out of her own hands. But I do think that there was, in the ways that I've seen female characters done in comics, this is definitely one of the the better ones, in my opinion. Because it, it at least she gets to make that final decision when she jumps in front of the um, the gun herself basically and you find out like Scott from Scott's little monologue after he's like you planned this the whole time didn't you this is the only the only way you thought it could end and I appreciate that at least from that moment on it was Jean's choice and Jean's decision and yeah that's something that not a lot of female characters get
0: I think something that's so cool about the, just the concept of the phoenix in general I we did just read the dark phoenix for this but like 30 issues before this, we've had the Phoenix saga as well, where Marvel girl, the character, I love Stan and Jack. I think they're geniuses, but they could not write a woman to save their life. Like every (laughs) female character invented by those two is like this waspy little white woman that the whole team has a crush on, but ultimately is like, okay, now shut the hell up. Like the boys have to go on an adventure and like, Chris Claremont took Jean Grey and said, Marvel girl is a stupid name. First off, like no one else, no other grown adult has a boy name in his thing. And so the idea of Phoenix literally came out of Chris Claremont Claremont being like, we need a code name for Jean Grey. Like this is stupid. She needs to be a superhero. Get her out of that green skirt, put her into something iconic and give her a superhero name. And so he created Phoenix, and she is far and away the the baddest mofo on this team, you know. And you get to see her succeed. And I I sometimes think just reading the Dark Phoenix saga in isolation comes across as very like, oh, this powerful woman went crazy. But if you oh, read I think... the yeah, whole, sorry. well, if you read the whole piece, it's there's like this whole arc about this character and her power and her self-actualization. And it becomes these male characters can't allow a woman to be powerful in this way. Like there, there are people that are gaslighting in her life. There are people that are undermining in her life. It, I feel like it becomes this big story about a woman who wants to self actualize, particularly sexually self actualize, which we can talk more about in a way that the men in her life will not let her that leads to the dark Phoenix. Ta-da.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I was like, Doug, you had a, a point.
4: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think Dallas covered it. I pretty much agree with you beat for beat there. Like the, the big mistake that a lot of adaptations take is they immediately go right from whenever she becomes, dark Phoenix and they just kind of fold that experience. in, so she's immediately kind of in this weird brainwashed state. And I, I do think you're right. It like it, it pays to have more of a a natural buildup because we actually see Jean evolve as a character to the point where it isn't just um, a switch being flipped in her brain. She's kind of in a way come to this state of mind, herself. And uh, I mean, you can see, especially in the latter half, she's she's struggling with herself to kind of realize what she actually wants and who she wants to be. And I think that's really the the keystone to her role in this book, why I think she has so much agency, because she has the ability to choose. And without that, it it always kind of falls flat.
2: Yeah, it's before I before I pass off Dallas, I want when I was doing my research today, I actually found the best way I've ever heard that described the, the like the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby syndrome for women. I called it someone called it Smurf set Smurf fat syndrome, where it's like <laughs> the female character. Their only trait is being the female character on the team. Yeah. And yep. I thought that was absolutely perfect. And I'm so glad that all of you are bringing up these these great points, because I read another piece earlier today that described that there's a lot of really bad patriarchal overtones that come from The Dark Phoenix, but only when you read it in and of itself, and you forget the Phoenix part that came before it. Because, yeah, in that vacuum, it's easy to see where all these themes become really overpowering, and it's why both movie adaptations have failed, because they make it seem like it's like power is something that a woman either cannot control, or it's something that needs to be controlled for them. And that's why I think Lexi, I think your perspective here is the most important since you're I'm guessing you haven't read the first Phoenix arc. So what did you think about the way that this arc handled Jean? Do you think it took the agency away from her, or do you think it managed to balance things out pretty well for what they had to do?
1: I feel like it definitely had its moments for both. Because when I very first I will I like I hate to say it, but I feel like when I go in reading comics, I have a very empty brain like i go in with i don't i don't read people's tweets i don't have any context for any of these things that i read just about and so i feel like it didn't immediately strike me as like i don't want to say bad because that's not what i want to call it but like i just found moments i mean specifically when we see um the scenes with kitty one of my favorite characters, love to see her pop up. Um, I loved the scene where she was introduced to Jean for the first time and she was like, WTF, get me out of here. These people are horrifying. And I loved the part where, like, Jean had that, like, caring big sister feel to her. Like, she was like, hey, like, it's okay. Like, I know what's going on. And, like, kind of looking back, I'm like, okay, yeah, they couldn't have sent Scott in there to do that. Like, definitely not. There there is a reason that um, Jean was the character that they had do that. But it just – I don't know. Like, I didn't immediately feel like it was – that she was mistreated like that. But then as soon as we got into, like, some of the mastermind stuff, I was like, ooh, this is – Gross. Like, I did not like how – I mean, especially at the very end of that part, I would say, where she said to him, like, you picked on the parts of me that were the weakest in her mind. She's like, these things that I held so, like, so deep in my mind and my deepest desires, she's like, you picked on those specifically and used them to exploit me. And I was like, oh, gosh. Like, yeah, that's really – that's that's pretty dark and I didn't like that a
3: lot, but
0: there are definitely like sexual abuse overtones to that story, right? Like
3: mm-hmm.
0: Masterbind is a scumbag. And it's an interesting choice to make that the trigger for the Dark Phoenix.
2: There is actually a lot I read on that today because a lot of Jean's Fall from Grace revolves a lot around the idea of like this problematic sexuality. You see, as she's being enticed, um, a lot of it's being done through like sensations. Just the idea that like um, it, it really stems from like this idea that men are more like rational and thoughtful creatures and women are more about sensations, emotions, and feelings. So a lot of that being played with Jean's just romantic desires and the idea of wingard coming in taking her into this place where she is like the object of his desires removing scott as like the man in her life and putting all this focus there was very much them trying to separate her in like a more feminine way and it's just it it's one of those like subtle ways that it very <laughs> clearly has these patriarchal overtones and it's um Sorry, I'm like losing my tr- losing track. I read so much today. There's so many great <laughs> papers out there about this. I have, um, if you want to look up more, <clears throat> if the Vault of Culture is the website, an article by Kelly Williams called "Female Readership and," um, sorry, "Female Readership and Corruption in the Dark Phoenix Saga and Dark Phoenix 2019." It's a really, really good read. And it's like it took me like half an hour to go through it, so I'm going to butcher it by trying to explain it all here. But it's really interesting to see Jean's fall, if you want to call it a fall, from the beginning where she's like very insecure about how she feels. And then as you go through this journey as Wingard takes her through it, you see her starting to dress in a different way. You start to see her acting in a different way. And it gets to a point where it starts happening after Wingard's influence, too. And it's this idea that the more promiscuous a woman is, or the more open she is with her sexuality, the more evil she is, because that takes away from the the agency of men, basically. And that's potentially a problematic thing, but in the context of the story, it's it's you know up to the reader to decide. Cause I actually found a lot of queer voices who resonate with Jean a lot for that exact reason. It's the idea that we're not allowed to be our full selves around other people. And that Jean going through this arc is her realizing, I don't need to hide any bit of myself. I just need to let go. It's that meme where it's like, aren't you tired of playing nice? Don't you just want to go fucking ape shit? (laughs) But in comic form. So, gosh, sorry. I just like exploded so much information out there in no discernible order. There's just a lot, a lot in these eight issues. It's just absolutely insane.
4: No, I, I love that angle too, because that, that actually got me thinking about something. It's very interesting that, uh, Wingard is a telepath in this too, because you almost have like this weird, uh, dueling, like, um, these weird dueling inspirations, because on the one hand you have Wingard and the Hellfire Club. And on the other hand, you have Professor X, but they're both like very domineering influences, especially in this arc, we we start to see like the beginnings of Professor X becoming a not so great guy. Like he's obviously mm-hmm. very controlling and defensive. And I don't know if Claremont intended this or not, but like you kind of get a feeling for why Gene feels so trapped. Because either sphere she's in, like people are trying to control her and put her into mm-hmm. like a box that they designate for her so i i guess it it only makes sense that at some point she has to just assert who she is Mm
2: -hmm. and that's very much literal too because jean gray was originally just telekinetic until she realized that she had telepathic abilities that charles xavier was suppressing for her because he didn't think she could control them so she has those two sides both telepathic men in her life manipulating her and controlling her in one way or another Mm. hate that. <laughs> <laughs> not fun. I do feel
0: like a lot of Gene and Scott's story is about, and I think this was pushed by Morrison as well, is about how they do not fulfill each other's deeper desires, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, they feel like a high school couple who were the two hottest kids in high school. They got married, and then they grew up, and they realized that they both kind of wanted something else that they couldn't be for each other.
4: That's literally what they are, though. They both and, went to school together.
0: And they both wanted Logan. Yeah. <laughs> and they, like, Gene, I feel like it's really significant that they do end up having sex on that butte in New Mexico, right? In the story, because so much of this story, and I I do think there's there's a conversation being had about, Gene sexuality you know I think there's A way to read this that's like if a Woman enjoys sex she is evil and Terrifying but I think There's also a way to read this that like The men in her life view her as terrifying Because she is that way you know And there are men that because She's being told she's terrifying will Exploit that you know Like I think the men are the villains of This story Mm -hmm. in a way Like Scott both Scott and Professor X ultimately want a certain version of Jean and as she becomes further and further from that you see a predatory individual which as Jason Wingard come in and take advantage and say like I will let you be what these men aren't letting you be in this really it's, icky yeah. terrifying way but I think ultimately the comic is talking about how like those those needs and those feelings aren't wicked in and of themselves. And like, and if we can own them, like, I think that's the big conclusion of the story is like, it feels weird that like she kills herself over this, but like her ownership of the Phoenix at the end of mm-hmm. like, I am not going to be, she literally fries masterminds brain into a million bits. But then she like, she's the one that ends up taking control of herself. Right? Like the side blocks that professor X put on her don't end up working. It is her that takes ownership of the Phoenix and is the ultimate person that defeats the Phoenix. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And so it's it's certainly a messy text, but I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a man, but sometimes I want to push a little bit on the dark Phoenix is inherently sexist because I think it's having a very interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. I
4: don't think it's a binary, especially given like the fact that comics are so additive and stuff has been built on since, Um, I mean, especially with, uh, the angle that professor X is actually a bad guy, like so much material has been given to the idea that he's actually been exploiting these people for their abilities this whole time. And I mean, with Scott, especially with, with all of the weird stuff that happens with Madeline Pryor and everything, like you get the idea that he definitely has had an idealized version of gene in his head that he's never been able to like separate her from and I think it does kind of contribute to the the overall tragedy of Dark Phoenix because if they if they just shifted their perspectives a little bit and kind of like took on a more uh, empathic uh, place with Jean they could have maybe figured out how she could exist with the Phoenix more harmoniously. Maybe all of this stuff didn't have to happen. If she like understood what she was going through, then obviously none of, none of this would have come to pass.
0: I think it's interesting that they develop their telepathic rapport Right, they're like we're going to be the most open with each other that we've ever been, and then they immediately start throwing up blockers. You know, they immediately start being like, eh, except for this little part, eh, except for these little thoughts. You know, and the story yeah. makes a point of talking about how this telepathic rapport is kind of bullshit. You know, like ultimately there are parts of Scott and Gene that they do not want to share with each other, and they don't want to have hard conversations with each other. um what did we think of the hellfire gala or not the hellfire gala the hellfire oh hell what club. the hell are they club yeah i was like trading company and i was like no the cult. The cult. uh what do we think of the republican party in this story
3: <laughs>
0: uh
4: well i one thing that i found very interesting the fact that they kept bringing up was that their headquarters was just a couple of blocks away from the Avengers mansion. Like the something that I really found in, in this story that I think is really cool is that uh, they made a point of saying the X-Men are a part of this larger world that like every little thing has its own um, ecosystem. And those are constantly crisscrossing with each other. Like the fact that beast shows up on the team just because he's on Avengers business or something. And that impacts the entire finale, I think is really amazing. Um, I I don't think it's really like a, a part of the central story with Jean and everything, but it's, it's just very, it's very rewarding to actually see the X-Men have an impact on the world around them because so often they're just kind of kept in their own little corner. and, mm-hmm as a result of that, like you, you get the idea that these stories don't have as much weight because they're just a drop in the bucket of the Marvel universe. But I think it, it really sells the, uh, the prestige of dark Phoenix, that this is an event that you can see unfolding across any corner of this fiction. Like the Avengers are in on it. The Shiar can see this happening. Um, And that, really just builds the uh, the immensity of of this battle.
0: I like that a lot. I and I also just feel I like how in the midst of this massive event, we're just still world building though, right? Like yeah. we meet Kitty Pride, we meet Emma Frost, and we meet Dazzler. All as like an opening moment to the Dark Phoenix saga. So Alexis, you made a face. Talk with us about Kitty, Emma, and Dazzler being introduced.
1: Oh, I loved the beginning of this run, if I'm going to be honest. Because when you were saying, like, oh, we didn't get any of Fe-, like, we kind of did get some Phoenix. Like, I feel like I know what she was. I mean, not 100%, of course, because there's still a lot that I haven't read. But, like, I definitely did get to see a bits of her personality, of, like, her being a strong woman part of this team and like a really productive one. And she was there and active with everybody. And I just love, I mean, I don't know, just because I've never, like I know these characters, but I've never seen them introduced. Like this is kind of fun to see where they come from. Like, I mean, even just the first panel of Emma Frost, I was like, yeah, she's been a baddie since the beginning. Look at her. Oh, (laughs)
3: Like
1: look at her cape. Good for her. And and then also, like, I will have to admit, so correct me if I'm wrong, but don't Colossus and Kate have, like, a little...
0: They do start to date, and he's, marriage. like, he's 17 and she's 13.
1: I was gonna say, uh, she was 13 years old when they met.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yep. no. Yeah, it's icky. <clears throat> it's an icky one. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the
4: thing. I like him. I like her. I don't like them together <laughs> no. at all.
2: It's okay. Nope. <laughs> Guys, I'm a recall with that, that panel, the ring passing through, passing through (laughs) her finger. (laughs) Yes.
0: You know, what's funny about these stories, I read them at such an age that like, I can never, even though I'm like the same age as Aurora in this story, she has just shifted in my head to being like 35. Like Aurora is always 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And Kitty is always sort of my age. And Peter is always, like, two years older than me. Like, I realize that's not the text. I realize mm-hmm. what is on the page is not okay. I'm saying my own stupid, zooted brain is always, <laughs> like, these are the relationships I have with these characters.
2: And this is where they stay.
0: They have that's a sliding time, time scale with me. Like, I, d- I fully don't ever think there will be a moment where Storm is younger than me in my head.
2: That's Yeah, fair. no. She is She is always mother. Exactly. I was gonna say,
1: she's very maternal, so that's fair. Don't know why we've put her in that box, but she is. <laughs> well, she,
2: she's like a
0: mom to kitty in a lot yeah, of the run. Yeah,
1: that's true.
2: Oh, seeing her react to Kate's death in Marauders oh. is always going to
0: hurt. Mm, yeah.
2: That
1: was chilling. <laughs>
0: So you love Marauders, right, Lex? And that's all about Hellfire. That's all about Emma. That's all about... The first half of this story is what that whole thing is riffing on. So what did you think of meeting Kitty and Emma like this, as enemies and...
1: It was so interesting because, I mean, we get the panel of, like, Emma saying, I think we're going to be the best of friends. (laughs) And Kitty was like, you are the scariest woman I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And then now, like, jumping forward to seeing the panel of them, like, about to beat the shit out of Shaw. Like, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love those comparisons. (laughs) And it just is so funny because, I mean, to put my uh, – having been a 13-year-old girl once, if I would have seen a woman like Emma approach me in real life like that, in that type of moment in Kate's life, yeah, she would have been scary as shit. (laughs) Not if I – She's fascinating, but very scary.
0: <laughs> I feel like Alexis is the panel of Kitty Pride licking the icing off of Saturnine's finger. <laughs> like, if I had to sum up Alexis as a person, as her older brother, I would think, like, well, there's some strong lesbian sexual vibes coming off of you, but, like, you definitely still like Colossus. You know, like... <laughs> oh, oh,
3: my I'm just I'm
0: just gonna throw that out there.
3: Oh hell, almighty!
0: Because Lex, oh, I don't know if you know this. In Excalibur, on Kitty's fifteenth birthday, there is a woman who looks a lot like Emma Frost, but has like long platinum hair. Yeah. And okay. that woman fully like takes a bunch of icing and like holds it out, and Kitty's like, <laughs> off her, and like <laughs> Kitty has said like multiple times to this one, like she's so fucking hot, like holy, holy. Quivering, awakening bisexual, bisexuality.
4: <laughs> We're also ignoring like the whole history with uh, with magic, with with Colossus's oh, sister. They're,
0: they're in love. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying that specific panel when Alexis was like, but fascinating about Emma Frost. I was like, bro, you would lick the icing. I
2: would. I would. I'm I'm about to text to her, so she's she's about to see. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> thank you, friends. You're thank, welcome. Thank you. I got you covered. This is. You need to understand what's being discussed here.
1: I'm just being labeled as bi curious during this podcast.
3: <laughs> Maybe. Ah. It's Taylor on Taylor is violence. Today.
0: Isn't yeah. that such a spicy panel?
1: She's fifteen. Oh. It's
0: her fifteenth birthday. If we want to talk yeah. about
2: cancelled
0: saturnine problematic fave
2: Excuse oh, me, every writer from the 80s and the 70s you need to calm down <laughs> Straight to speaking,
4: speaking of canceled i think we get a fun little note uh about like emma in her proto form here how they kind of like they kind of darth maul her off panel and go well We won't be seeing her ever again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And then Chris Claremont was like, where's that little bitch with the panties? (laughs) What's she been up to? Literally every three comics in Chris Claremont, he's like, has anyone been in a corset top recently? (laughs) It feels like ages since someone's been in a corset top and panties as her whole outfit. We need to shake things up again. Let's get Emma back. Yeah, he's like, "Uh, hmm. Because you've got Emma, and then you've got Black Queen Jean, and then Celine starts to show up, and then Emma starts to show up again. Yeah.
2: It just keeps happening. And then apparently John Byrne carried that energy with him to the Fantastic Four. Oh, Oh. yeah. Thank you, John Byrne. (laughs) The one good thanks for one thing. Thank you. Was
1: that that terrible picture I saw on Twitter? Yes, it was.
0: Of spiky, (laughs) little mommy, Sue Sue. Storm.
2: Spiky Sue? (laughs) Welcome I to like my spiky suit like,
0: era.
4: You two have retroactively reclaimed everything bad about the burn era and are like, actually, this works. Actually. <laughs> in other, yeah. new, in other I c-
2: news. I can't believe you ratioed me on the fucking cleavage for suit.
0: <laughs> I felt like a king. A king of my men- I was Robert Baratheon in that moment. <laughs> like, Get the king his chest plate stretcher. <laughs> Fine. Oh. So to bring it all back to a place of Game of Thrones, <laughs> thank you for asking. Um, Daenerys's turn is just the Dark Phoenix saga, but done poorly is really mm. what I realized on this watch through when I was like, "Damn, they Dark Phoenixed her!" But they Dark Phoenixed her with the movie, but and not the comic. Rip the dream, and then Sansa Stark went to go play Dark Phoenix. So mm-hmm. it all comes together. <sighs>
1: Isn't that Joe Jonas's
0: wife? It is Joe Jonas's wife.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Sophie.
0: So, Anne, you read a million things. Give us more of your thoughts about Dark Phoenix.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I gave you so much of it. There's... Okay, so I think the funniest thing was that someone pointed out, like, this keeps happening to a lot of really powerful women in comics, where they get really strong, and then they go through their edgy arc. Because it happened with Invisible Woman and Malice. And it also happened with Scarlet Witch and the House of M.
0: Do you think they're all riffing on Dark Phoenix?
2: I don't think it's necessarily a direct riff. I feel like if anything, Wonder—I w- um, almost said Wonder Woman, <laughs> Invisible Woman—and <laughs> Malice feels more direct because it definitely pulled the same costume beats at the very least. But it's—I think this—it's the common thread between them is the idea that a really powerful woman is one bad day away from like the, to pull the Joker out they're one bad day away from snapping and just losing all control of their emotions and just letting havoc rain because you look I'm, I keep bringing up the stupid malice suit but I remember someone <laughs> shared with me the panel about how that was resolved and the whole thing is Reed basically mansplaining to Sue why she's no longer allowed to wear her dominatrix costume and then he slaps her
4: yeah it's just very tasteful
2: yeah, very tasteful. You don't get a lot of stories like this about really strong male characters. Unless you're talking Superman, and he's gotten like 80 in the last 10 years. Listen, Otherwise... I'm going to throw it
0: out there. I'm going to throw it out there. If my wife went through a phase where she wanted to wear dominatrix gear all day, I would handle it differently than Reed Richards. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you for that. I, that's. Yeah. I, I'm going
0: to throw it out there. I would not have... Any problems whatsoever.
2: Is like, Patty in the room shit, with you right now? Are you like subtly just suggesting this? In the they only have
1: one room, and Of course she's in the room.
0: <laughs> she right.
1: <laughs> you think she goes and sits in the bathtub while we record? I mean, I
0: would probably. That is, that is exactly what she does. She is currently in the bathtub.
1: <laughs> it's funny because when I said that, I imagined her not taking a bath, just sitting in the bath fully clothed
0: on her phone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: the things we do.
2: She's just
4: got her, her hands over her ears going, Dallas <laughs> is talking about malice again. I just True. know it. If I
2: <laughs> if if like a a a the name voice. Grant Morrison one more time, I'm going to snap. <laughs> <I'm> gonna, <laughs> she's oh, like, oh. I'm going to bring this up in couples therapy again.
0: <laughs> she could probably carry a whole conversation about Grant Morrison on her own at this point. Probably. Um, you just hear like a quiet voice from the background, like,
2: I'm not putting on the spiky hat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did like, so <clears throat> shout out back to Hellions last week, which, by the way, great mm. episode, you two. Oh, I forgot um, you were on it. Oh, so,
2: thanks, for ta- thanks for tagging Zeb in that. I really appreciated that.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome.
2: I am so embarrassed. <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, I wasn't on it. Did you notice, though, <laughs> that the dress that Gene wears to the function with the diamond cutout, that's the goblin queen outfit later in the thing. That's what Madeline ends up tearing the bottom off of Mm -hmm. and her under boobies. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that builds on, Oh, sorry. I cut you
4: off there. No, go for it. I was going to say that like that builds on the theme that uh, was mentioned earlier that like, it's a lot of the, a lot of the horrible discord that kind of befalls the X-Men after all this is kind of, all built on Scott and his is kind of uh, issues that he does not want to address. Um, It's very interesting though. Like I'm noticing a lot of like a lot of the subplots in this are kind of revolving around how the X-Men are evolving as a team and how everybody is kind of like trying to figure out their own, place within this new status quo kind of like going back a a couple of um, conversations, but like this, this was building off of the giant size team where like it was, it started out huge because it was this team. And that was also the original uh, X-Men who came back. And then since then it's kind of been steadily paring down and I think it's, it's very interesting that we've reached a point where, um, you see stuff like nightcrawler has stopped using his image inducer because he, he's come to the decision, like, why should I have to hide? And, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very interesting seeing like how all of these intersect with each other, especially with Charles back and like trying to run things the way they were um like you you can tell that there's clearly tension brewing and i think a lot of that is coming from the fact that like the x-men have fundamentally changed and they can't fit this mold anymore but the fact that everybody is trying to make it fit
0: Mm
4: -hmm. is is causing like these these identity crises
0: building um, building off of that a little bit, I think it's fascinating that Professor X comes in and puts side blockers on Phoenix and then she immediately gets back into the Marvel girl outfit and Yeah, that sticks for like 46 seconds. You know what I mean? Like it feels like a reselling of that point that like, no, we're not going to put this back in the bottle. There is no going backwards from this moment even mm-hmm. though we're going to go through the effort of, yep, Professor X is going to save the day because he's so much bigger and smarter than all the rest of us. <laughs> and, oh, I'm going to get back into my Smurfette outfit. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. And I think that's an important story beat that I I had never thought about before.
2: And if I may, there was a really good quote I read today in this article that um, interviewed a bunch of queer fans of... Jean Grey ask him like why why is Jean Grey your go-to character what do you see in her and Ruben Angel wrote Jean Grey is too much love and too much care and that muchness scares people away in a way that queer and trans people can relate to Jean is so much and yet her sexuality is muted in the way that a lot of queer people have to because being queer is already too much I understand why people are like she becomes the Phoenix and she becomes more powerful. And that reflects coming out. But unfortunately the dangers are coming out and that we have to become too much for people and they see nothing else to do, but to murder us. And that's what happened with Jeannie. And that's, I am thinking about like once something's out there, it can't come back. No matter how much you try to like force it and cram it back in, it's not going to go away. It's out there in the open. Now people know and it's either you're going to deal with it and one way or the other. And sometimes it is, Tragic because you have people turning against you and saying there's nothing else being done. You're a monster now. Period. And that this whole article was really great in turning around how I looked at Jean because before Jean is just like one of those characters for me that's just like she exists. She's fun. I really liked that Claremont was like we need an equivalent of the Thor of Thor on the X Men and then eventually got to a point where they're like well she kind of makes everyone else redundant we need to axe her and i'm just like okay well that's her role and she did that and she keeps coming back again and again and we don't know what to do with her but looking at the context of this story looking at the context of what people have been saying it's made me appreciate her more and i think that's really neat how just seeing one person's different perspective on a character can totally change how you think about them as a whole and yeah that was it was a fun read through this week for me
0: I like that. So maybe what, how do you perceive Jean now after that? Do you agree with that opinion you read? Do you feel like you have a little bit different of a take on the character?
2: I think it's harder to take that opinion strictly with what I have now because what I have now is just the dark Phoenix, but also seeing where she is 30 years down the line, knowing that she does come back, that she does rise back from it and that she bounces around a lot after that. There's a lot of uncertainty in her story just from behind the scenes. And I honestly, I think I need to do more reading before I can consolidate like how I feel about her as a character today versus how I feel about a character, her as a character in this story.
0: I definitely have you continued with Morrison's run, like you said you wanted to a couple
2: issues, but nothing substantial.
0: I really, really think that her characterization was more different than this than I anticipated.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When I finally reread this, I was like, okay, there is a shift in who Jean is. I personally like Morrison's Jean the very best, but I do think she's different from this Jean, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Lexi, did you have a preference between Morrison Jean and this Jean?
1: <sighs> That's a very good I wanted to say something snarky, but I decided better of it because I think that I like Morrison's butter. But
0: I mean, the her taking out the human mm-hmm. is incredible. Iconic. With like the big raptor coming up behind her. And it to me it feels if we're going with like a trans allegory for the Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. Um Grant being a trans individual, it feels very cool that That is the run where the Phoenix gets to be a part of Gene that doesn't get her. Like, she doesn't ever become overcome with the Phoenix in Morrison's run. She just is Phoenix, and she is so third eye open, God brain above everyone else. And Morrison's run is the one where she gets to say, like, eh, deal with it. You know, like, I will get. I am done with these humans. I'm going to go Dr. Manhattan up into the white hot room. Which. I Not mean, to take it to a Morrison place, but I recently <laughs> on their sub stack they said the white hot room that Phoenix went to was reminiscent of an experience, an out of body experience they had in their life, and that was very interesting to me.
2: Okay. So, okay, I'm gonna so, try to finish it this week since we only have one <laughs> issue for next week.
1: Oh, my, every time we talk about Morrison's experiences, <laughs> I just have the image of that guy from Ancient Aliens going, Aliens yeah no that's Every definitely right yeah <laughs> aliens
0: katmandu mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all about we're all we're just trying to chase katmandu oh boy um do we have any final thoughts about this before we move into listener questions
1: i feel like we have a lot of good questions that will give a lot of good conversation mm-hmm. i really kind of read through them before i've never done that before
0: but why do welcome. i send them <laughs> I, I, I screenshot and sent them. All. I, you know,
2: I just think it's nice. I'm like, oh, people notice us. It's just so that we all can cool.
1: take turns reading them. I didn't uh, know we were supposed to read them before. What the hell? I do the absolute bare minimum.
0: I am. <laughs> you you really brought the brought the a game on this episode. I thought you had so many good things to say. I could tell you read it this week.
1: I usually bring an A minus game, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> Lexi, you're my favorite one on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Oh D- my gosh. Doug is okay, my favorite. i played a that, person on the show.
1: I played that recording of me making fun of Dallas's head size to my mother, and the actual <laughs> guttural laugh that this woman let out was so funny because she goes, Yeah, yeah I had to have a C section with him. I know. And I was like, Mother! <laughs> mother! <laughs> it was very I, funny. Do not,
0: I do not have a birthday, I have a, a carving day. Um, Dallas is like
1: a pumpkin. He has an extraction appointment. Uh,
0: Dallas was is the a-
4: watcher at the end of Dark Phoenix.
0: <laughs> I am the watcher. Um, I had a womb with a view. Um, <laughs> I took much longer to be in a vagina than any other humans. There you go.
2: <laughs> and with that, listener
4: questions.
2: Ending it. No. No. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe I said that
1: (laughs) I'm gonna play that for our mom let's see what she has to say about that
2: getting a phone call later true I'm genuinely shocked at myself okay someone read a question that's who I am now that's that's, that's gonna be the one thing he edits out
1: true true the one thing that he's like hmm I have this power maybe smart maybe who knows okay I have a question all right (laughs) Dark Phoenix. Hey, y'all. Love the show. My question for this particular one, particular, what did I say like that?
3: <laughs> 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 bad, gummit. it.
1: My Utah is showing help. <laughs> um, this particular one is, do you think they could have made the Phoenix Force work without it being OP, like the writer said, or, and, oh, and do you think they thought it was OP for genuine or misogynistic reasons?
0: thoughts you calling us thoughts are you asking for our thoughts (laughs) (laughs) alexa's like speak my thoughts (laughs) hey all you (laughs) little thoughts go ahead and speak particular anyone have any particular thoughts
2: i mean (laughs) (laughs) y'all honestly i think they could have made it work um (laughs) From everything you are told me about Morrison's run, it sounds like they eventually found a way to make it work, just in a very specific and particular way. I think the important thing is that even in the Morrison run, once they find a way to make her powers interesting, unique and find a place for her, it's still a temporary place because she does still go away at the end. It's the, the eternal struggle of trying to find where powerful characters belong in comics and being able to to bring enemies and obstacles up to bat for them that aren't going to be complete pushovers and that justify needing them in addition to other people on the team. I think
0: ultimately the issue is not with how powerful Phoenix is, but how much more powerful she is than the other X-Men,
2: right? Mm -hmm. Because
0: ultimately I think she would do just fine as a cosmic entity of Marvel, you know? I think because ultimately Captain Marvel is an incredibly powerful character. Thor is an incredibly powerful character. Superman over at DC is an incredibly powerful character, but they come against foes that are on their level on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the rest of the X-Men can't play in that league. Like I don't think the X-Men defeat Thanos. I do think Phoenix could go toe to toe with Thanos, but then with Phoenix on your team, Jason, Jason, Wingar, like the hellfire go- people ultimately are a joke once yeah. she overcomes the mind manipulation like it's over in five seconds sentinels aren't a problem when you're god <laughs> you know
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I mean I I do
4: agree with Anne and that like there is a way to make the phoenix uh, work as an allegory at the same time though like it's it's hard to say that the like that the context for this was an allegory too. I especially if you read the Watchers' kind of little outro speech at the end, it it feels a lot like the, the thesis for this story. It's largely about like what would a person do with this amount of power, and the the choices: um, do you either give into that, or do you assert control? Do you say, no, I am, I'm still me. I'm still a person. And I don't know. It's, it's tricky because like the mutant metaphor in X-Men has evolved to fit many things over the years. I feel like it Phoenix couldn't have evolved if they'd sticked t- if they'd stuck with this context, but I'm glad that they kept building. They kept changing because um, it, it shows like the, the power of, of metaphor and how you can change something that like once was very negative into something that's very positive. Like it's so interesting reading this back to back with Morrison's because it kind of, it's kind of like a black and white example. Like Jean is Jean is almost cursed by the Phoenix in this. Whereas in Morrison, it, Kind of helps her live her full life and be her full self.
2: I like that.
0: Turns out Morrison, pretty
2: smart <laughs> person. If I gave I you one Morrison. Morrison all next week, I'm quitting. I'm leaving the <laughs> podcast. That's my challenge next week not not and bringing them up once.
1: Hmm? I feel like if we can go one episode without well, mentioning Morrison, we should fly out to Disneyland together
2: um yeah (laughs) the ultimate because it's
1: never gonna happen ever
0: Eh. (laughs) (laughs) what do you think lex do you think the phoenix is too powerful for the story or do you think there would be a way to i just
1: think they're little bitches that don't know how to handle her but (laughs) i feel like if she just like I don't know, because I feel like we see a lot of other characters that have this crazy strength ability that they don't, I mean, I don't want to say they don't have a problem with because they definitely do like to pick on other ones, Cuff Cuff, Captain Marvel, but (laughs) like we see them, they exist, like why can't, why can't Jean be one of them? Why can't she be, be like that, you know?
0: Do you think she has to leave the X-Men? No. To be that?
1: don't.
0: So you think Wolverine could look down Thanos in the eyes and be like, clear you! Probably. <laughs> right. Okay. <All> right.
4: <laughs> the, the story isn't about Wolverine, is it, Dallas? It's about Jean. It's her story.
1: Mm-hmm. What a damn about I mean, the that's the thing. Like, yeah.
4: people, people always kind of have discourse about this. Like, w- why should this character continue in this book? But I'd, I'd argue it's all about the angle of the story. If, if you see a character that's too powerful for your story, then you just have to write a different angle to the story. Exactly. That's why Superman's always dealing with like existential crises, why
0: he's always kind of, you know, doing high level problems. You could write a very cool Phoenix story where she can, not because like ultimately X-Men Red has like a philosophical problem. I don't really love the resolution of that, but I like the idea of facing G Grey with philosophical issues.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, I do have to say, though, when you asked me if Wolverine could sign up to Thanos, I had this image of Gene just slingshotting him at Thanos <laughs> and him, like, stabbing him in the eyes. He's
0: like, hey! yeah, it, would be like it would be
4: like a 3 prong fastball special. Yeah, so Gene yeah, yeah. hurls Colossus and Colossus hurls
0: Logan. There
1: you
0: go. It would be like a space shuttle. Okay, wait, we I didn't talk that. about Logan throwing Colossus on this. I love uh-huh, uh-huh. It was so good.
1: That was. Perfect. I love
4: those two. Couple just, of idiots.
0: They <laughs> are just just the beef bros.
1: Before the part where <laughs> Logan was like, I'm gonna beef. get these wires because we need disadvantage. And then they're like, <laughs> son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> like, okay, where'd the power go? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean,
3: just so like, so... I do <laughs> <just,
2: laughs> <just>, You just... <laughs> The lights go off and you just hear a regretful snick. <laughs> <laughs> I love Cyclops like, what the hell? What? <laughs> not, not as special was like, where'd the power go?
0: What? Then, the three up three issues earlier, whole brain's like, this will help us later. This be an advantage. I like, but I liked I even thought reading, I was like, "That's a really random way to do that." Like, why are you like, <laughs> right. "Once the rivers have
2: raised, then it we run this into the dark." Was also
1: like, "Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good idea."
0: Yo, there was a reason
1: those two were in the sewers.
0: <laughs> Scott's like, "You can't cause too much trouble down in the shit," and they're like, "Watch us." <laughs>
1: <laughs> the sewers weren't supposed to lead into the building. They were supposed that's to pass the
4: right That's a problem, over. and not tell anybody. <laughs>
0: They gave Wolverine the unplugged Wiimote and he still caused problems.
1: That wasn't me Ugh. as a child. I don't know what was.
0: Yo, when he po- when they poke up into the building, and Wolverine's claws are extending, just his little face is like
1: <laughs> his little his horns reach.
0: Or what about when he is reading Maxim magazine while they're all planning, <laughs> and, and the little just... gremlin
2: face he makes after when he's putting it away? Oh my fucking god! <laughs> and the guy's like, "Quit reading that for free," and he's like, hee <laughs> He's like, I have read the whole re- thing. So yeah, forget sir, you it. can't
4: it's read so this Playboy magazine out. in a diner. Watch me.
0: <laughs> They're like, so how are we going to deal with Gene? And he's like, may I interest you in some titty magazine?
1: They <laughs> had a 13-year-old with them. Kitty's a child! <laughs> and
0: he's like, hey, bub.
3: And
0: he's, he's short enough that it's directly at her eye level. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're peers. Okay, leave him alone.
0: Wolverine, (laughs) in this story, looked at porn, (laughs) ruined the plan, and killed a bunch of dudes.
2: Best (laughs) (laughs) X-Men. I love our little gremlin. (laughs) He's He's the
3: goblin king.
1: Forget about the goblin queen.
0: I forgot about how funny that
2: was. That he- <laughs> Where'd the lights go? <laughs> okay, I have a question. Serious question. Serious question. If the lights go out, does Cyclops still just see red? Oh, it's just blank question. red. It's just always red. <laughs> His <laughs> eye
0: beams come from the punch dimension. <laughs> Thank you for that.
3: I also
1: it's just help, like, daredevil Google.
0: vision without any definition. <laughs> all red all the time.
1: Solid red. <laughs>
0: Uh, I like when Jean was like, I want to see your face. I yeah. wanted her to be like, it's kind of plain. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I want him to have like a big, like a zit line from around the visor. It's <laughs> like the guy's working out in that visor the, all the time, oh right? My god. Yeah.
2: The worst tan yeah. line ever. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. is like, the mask tan like. line. Venus like, I guess I'll close my eyes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I don't think it's a really gonna work out. I'm sorry. I'm gonna leave you here. No, all, never mind. I like Gee. I like
0: the sunglasses I'm on. Gonna
1: leave you on top of this butte. I'm just gonna go.
0: They had <laughs> such mediocre sex on that butte that she turned evil. <laughs> he had one job. It, the story literally was like, bro, she has expressed that she has some sexual needs at this point, and <laughs> she will either genocide or you will make her orgasm. And he's like, fuck them broccoli people. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: ultimately
0: ultimately the dark phoenix saga is a story about men's failure to find the clitoris <laughs> it's okay Send i tweet. think
2: <laughs> being with emma probably did him some good
0: that's true. true g see that's the difference between gene and emma gene will go blow up a planet <laughs> and emma <laughs> will be like uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh.
2: Uh, <laughs> gene will go blow up a cl- planet Emma will tell you where the clitoris is. Yeah. <laughs> She'll help you find it. <laughs> Emma will be like,
0: that was the worst head I've ever gotten in my life. And Scott will be like, no, Jean said it was great. And she's like, she was lying. She and went. she blew up a planet.
2: <laughs> Emma 1000 gave him mental notes on a whiteboard. Oh my thousand yes. <laughs> <laughs> percent.
0: She imprints it into his head. <laughs> is that what the fraction
4: run is?
3: I, see I think
0: yes. that yes. is what the fraction run is. <laughs> I feel like we
4: spent a lot of time on this one question.
2: We got a little derailed. Um, (laughs) Do we want to go into the next one? Yes. I can read it. Okay. So the next question comes from Dan. Hi guys. Hope you're doing well and that you're having a good day. My questions. First, what do you think about the attempts at adapting the story to animation slash film, at least from the ones you've seen? Do you think the story could be properly adapted or is it best to let it remain in its original form? Let's start with that one first. What do we think about the adaptations? Bad. Great doo doo shit. <laughs> Doug, you look like you're gonna have a nervous I'll breakdown. S-
4: <laughs> oh my god. Um, I'll say, I'll say a lot of like animation, a lot of movies. They make the mistake of trying to cram everything in at once, but <laughs> the fact is, uh, Dark Phoenix succeeds from the fact that it's a serial story. Um, and in that vein, there is one adaptation, kinda sorta, that I think really nails it. And that is FX's Legion. Hmm. So instead of Gene, uh, it basically focuses on this character, Legion, who is right off the bat just insanely powerful. And right, like as soon as he basically finds his own version of the X Men, they immediately try to assign him different roles and obviously that only complicates things and you know it just builds and builds there's this sense of foreboding until everything boils over and he kind of sort of goes dark phoenix and it ends up lasting like you know i mean it's it is almost beat for beat dark phoenix which i find fascinating Hmm. um the one thing that I'll say, though, is I think you lose a lot by not having it be Gene because there are, I mean, like Anne mentioned, like Dallas mentioned, there are, and like Lexi mentioned, there are power dynamics present here that I think you lose if you aren't focusing on these characters at this moment mm-hmm. in time.
2: I like that. And- yeah. I haven't seen Legion yet. It's on my list to watch. I need to get into those FX shows. Dallas, what do you have to say?
0: I think the closest we've come to a good Dark Phoenix adaptation was Game of Thrones. And I think they... (laughs) No, I'm being serious. I'm I'm not even doing a bit. Like, I really think that we have a very strong female lead that has Mm -hmm. an arc that culminates with her buying into like her own savior complex, basically, mm. in a way that is not productive. And then we see her, and obviously the themes Game of Thrones is trying to accomplish are different than what Dark Phoenix is. But then it becomes a story about how because she has surrounded herself with only people that reinforce that feedback loop, she becomes the villain of that narrative. And I think ultimately they did not succeed in the execution, but I think that's the only thing I've seen that has that kind of buildup. Where we see good become great, become less good, become less good, become <clears throat> less good, and then they skip from less good to Nazi. Uh, there was like a se- there was one more season in there that they needed to show the slide, but like I, I I was just like rocked by how much it was similar on the rewatch.
4: I think I get what you're trying to say. So you're saying Jon Snow's bad sex made Daenerys evil.
0: Listen, I don't know if you saw Jon Snow's ass at the end of season seven, but I would not have become a Nazi over. Actually, no, because she finds out she's his aunt and is not allowed, <laughs> and so Game of Thrones. I, I good. haven't
2: seen it yet. Shut up,
0: bro. There's an embargo
2: of four years. Not my fault. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna say the only good adaptation I've seen of the Dark Phoenix saga has been X Men Evolution. Because they mm. didn't show it, they just said it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> our sh- our show's done, but this definitely <laughs> happened in the future. Thank you. Oh my up. gosh! There
4: you like go. I mean, even, about it. even building on that, there's kind of like a pseudo Dark Phoenix in I want to say season one, where Jean's powers evolve. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and everything goes in the opposite direction because everybody's like very supportive and caring, <laughs> and it all works out in the end. Oh my gosh!
2: Yeah. Um. By the way, if you haven't watched X Men Evolution. Definitely watch X Men Evolution. It's it's the best. I love it a lot. Yeah. I think the second half of that question, though, I
0: am not confident in ever receiving a good X Men adaptation. Like I think the yeah. serial nature. Even I think I don't think we'll ever get the Claremont Run Again because this was a story that was so clearly not written for the trade paperback. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. all the issues we read felt a little bit like well, this is sort of half about the issue before, you know? Like, we get a few pages about Proteus, and then we also get these little <laughs> flashes over to, like, how Moira is doing on that island when Sean Cassidy's like, wanna go for a jog? And she's like, I don't have time. And he's like, well, how about sex? And she's like, <laughs> I said no to the jog.
2: I love that. He's like, "You're so your husband's been dead. Um, five minutes, you wanna fuck? <laughs> is, is it time yet? <laughs> ten minutes, is ten minutes too soon? How about, Maybe I'll, a day. I'll give you one day. And then if you're not in that bedroom, I swear to God. And then there's like, there's a whole
0: random two issues where they have to go meet Kitty and Dazzler. But it also mm-hmm. is important to the slow build the story. You know what I mean? Oh, it yeah. It's just like, this is not a six issue hand somebody a trade paperback thing. It's here are eight issues that are mostly coherent. You kind of just got a vibe with it. Because really, the guy hasn't hit the brakes once.
4: Speaking of Chicago, I'd also like to add uh, Chris Claremont makes a note in the narration that he thinks Chicago has the world's best pizza.
2: No, he says, or so they say. Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought was a dig. It's all about context. My gosh. It's wrong. Anyways. um, (laughs) Second. From the same question from Dan. What do you think of the character of Jean Grey? She seems to be a very polarizing character in the eyes of a lot of people I've seen talk about her, but I myself don't find her very interesting or compelling. Very interested to see what you all have to think, what to say about her as a character. Thank you, and stay safe, Dan. Well, I feel like I gave a lot of my thoughts about Jean earlier. Does anyone else want to weigh in? What what are your overall thoughts about Jean Grey as a character?
0: I think that Jean is somebody who, modern Jean especially, post this most recent resurrection, Jean, is somebody who has inherited the fact that she became more in death than she was in life. And I I feel to me like she is by being into that narrative. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I think that she also thinks she's the most important character of the X-Men. And I think that's, there's interesting play with that. Like, I think that is a very interesting character to have around because she's not always wrong. You know, like, I do kind of think she's the protagonist sometimes. But I think that, especially I think Bendis played with this a lot with her, like, outing Bobby. I think that Mm -hmm. sometimes Jean Grey is like, well, what I say goes. You know, like, I don't really need to think about you guys. I'm the protagonist. Which ultimately, I think, is an interesting character. Like, I like, oh, yeah. I like that character.
4: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I know there was um there was an article somewhere um that I think like really leaned into the fact that like other characters get to be messy. So why why can't people just accept that Gene kind of oversteps sometimes? Why don't they acknowledge that it's a part of her character? And I I kind of agree. I think. You can have like these, you know, righteous paragons or whatever, but they like if you don't develop them the right way, if you don't give them believable traits, then they kind of come off as cardboard standees after a while. So, I guess in like in that vein, I think Gene is an interesting character that you kind of have to thread the needle with. Um, like modern interpretations, I think they're trying to steer so far away from dark Phoenix that they almost like they almost keep her separate from everybody. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think a a big part of the X-Men has always been their loving, but dysfunctional relationship. So I think like, if there's a way to humanize Jean and to like, really to really just bring her back into this group and acknowledge that she, like any of this group, makes mistakes and c- like can overstep sometimes and isn't perfect, then I think that's the way to make her compelling again.
0: I 100% agree. I want messy X-Men.
2: <laughs> Lexi, any thoughts? I think Jean
1: Grey is one of my favorite characters, just because I exactly like, i agree i feel like she deserves to just be wild like that's the whole point of phoenix phoenix in is just crazy so why not i
0: like it is the movie spirit the dark phoenix saga the movie with that horse
1: <laughs> i know what <laughs> movie you're talking about damn it you didn't this, specify
2: this free horse asking me to remember that movie is a big ask
0: but Alexis had it on loop in our house for four straight years, so I
2: that movie was a turning point for me. Oh my gosh! What was it?
0: Is it is it the Dark Phoenix saga, Alexis?
2: It could be. I don't know if I want to open that can of worms on this show. <laughs> <laughs> All Anyways, right. tune in next time to see if Flushed Away was The Dark Phoenix.
0: That's Addison. <laughs> <laughs> Unironically, it's Addison's so favorite animated
2: movie. Wait, really? So
0: Unironically, her favorite animated oh,
2: movie. Oh, I need to pick her brain about that sometimes. It's okay. so funny. I love that movie.
0: Poor old Roddy. Cut flushed down his own party. <laughs> I love
1: the scene where he has the Barbies in their own car and he's just <laughs> whipping
2: around the house. He shoots G.I. Joe's head off. Oh.
0: quality film
2: uncovered a taylor classic i see okay (laughs) we're from utah and what do you expect i mean
0: it's no apparently flushed away it's no over the hedge in my opinion
1: oh even better
0: okay well bad movies aside uh iron magical says hello i'm iron and i loved your new x-men podcast as well as your interesting takes on gene gray i'm not i'm Now interested to hear a whole episode dedicated mostly to her and one of the most, if not the most, iconic Marvel story of all time. I would argue it is the most iconic as well. Iron. Uh, What do you think about Dark Phoenix Saga's legacy? Over the years, multiple other comics have tried to tell similar, if not the same story, but have often failed miserably. What do you think makes the Dark Phoenix Saga unique in this case? And how does it manage to dodge most misogynistic tropes and age as well as it did? So, has everyone in this room seen Multiverse of Madness? Yes. Alexis, yes?
2: Yes. So, Good like,
0: leave. spoiler warning.
2: Literally
1: leave. I don't want to hear a single thing about it. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Just or... leave. Come back next week.
0: So, You're already an hour and a
1: half in. Scram.
0: Wanda going bananas is pretty Dark Phoenix, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we feel like that movie was misogynistic on the same level as Dark Phoenix Saga? More misogynistic than Dark Phoenix? Or how are we how do we feel about that most recent version of this
2: story? See, that one's hard. I'm still like digesting that decision as a whole. I'm still. It's like the the whole MCU Wanda character has me. A thousand different ways of frustrated, but the fact that Scarlet Witch as a whole is still being reduced down to like a five minute section of her history, both of which written by Bendis, is just like yeah. nails on the chalkboard to me. And it's so frustrating that she can't get away from it. And that was honestly like my biggest the the biggest pitfall of me from Melton versus Madness was like I, we can't get away from this. I think the inability to tell us. Story with a strong female character without resorting to that definitely shines through a bit in there. So I feel like that one very much feels like it comes from a misogynistic place. But that's just me personally. That was a, a gripe I had with that the entire way through that movie.
4: I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, like, to piggyback on that and the fact that, like, a lot of this is built directly off of House of M, I think is a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> just because, like, House of M. It's so interesting because Wanda is one of the central characters in that, but we almost never get her perspective on this. We don't nope. see uh, like the thoughts going through her her head or like how she even arrives at these decisions. She's just kind of a plot machine, and I think that's the main difference between uh, between House of M and all of that, like the post Dark Phoenix inspirations and this. Because I think like something that a lot of people miss is that Jean is an entire person in addition to this, um, this mantle or this character that she's become. So obviously there's a lot of history that she brings into that. And I think it is very much about an identity crisis, how she balances um, you know, who she was or who she wants to be with, what she's becoming and um yeah that agency is a pretty important part of like dark turns like this because Mm
3: -hmm.
4: i think it's the difference between like a three-dimensional character and a one-dimensional one
2: agreed i'm
4: oh i i thought i i saw dallas i think you're on mute
2: i got nothing important to say (laughs) I was actually thinking, I'm struggling to think of any other Dark Phoenix-esque stories, but Lexi, do you have anything?
1: No, I still feel like I, I feel like when it comes to the MCU movies, I, I do have to have a disclaimer, my boyfriend is in love with those movies, Mm -hmm. and I am in his home, so I am going to keep my opinions to myself, (laughs) because they may hurt his feelings, but... That movie was very hard to swallow for me. I don't know if I loved it at all.
0: Because of the Wanda stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I was like, why is this be, why, why is her whole personality now, like based off what you said, like there, this is the smallest little tiny portion of her character Mm -hmm. opportunity, you could say. Why is it just, She's a crazy woman that wants her imaginary children back. Like, I understand that the the trope, I guess, but it was very poorly done.
2: You know, it's curious when you look at I'm going to call her Wendy. Wendy is a character from the MCU's <laughs> timeline because I think the first interesting thing they did with her was killing Quicksilver off. And it's like, I miss Quicksilver, but I do appreciate the, the opportunity it gave them to focus on Wanda specifically for who she was. It was a finally chance to get her no Magneto, no Quicksilver, just Wanda, just focus on her. And instantly it's all about someone else. Cause it goes straight into her and vision. And all of Wanda vision is just about Her dealing with that loss and then not doing it very well straight into this where she's dealing with an imaginary loss. And it's just always about her connection to another person and never about her herself and what she wants.
4: It's so interesting, too, that they they tie her directly to Doctor Strange Mm -hmm. and they're they're kind of two sides of the same coin in that because he literally he does the exact same thing that she does. He warps reality and it, like, even going back to the the quote that she uses in the movie, yeah, she does the the same thing that he does, but she's punished for it.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, I don't know; it's it's pretty obvious <laughs> when it's there.
0: <laughs> I thought it was really bold of them to make a remake of Cruella already. Um, <laughs> And then to rebrand it as the MCU. But moving on to the next question
1: Disney's just running out of content at this point. Yeah, they're I'm remaking things
0: it. from last year. Cruella, but the puppy is Doctor Strange. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Question two from Iron. What are your thoughts on the retcon that followed? Is Jean Grey the Phoenix or was the Phoenix an imposter? Do you think the retcon robs Jean of her amnesty and power by saying that she was never Phoenix? And what about the follow up with the Phoenix being intertwined with Jean once in New X Men, then taken away completely and made into a public commodity? Do you agree with the direction Marvel has taken the Phoenix, turning it into a power up instead of a cosmic being?
2: See, I'm gonna be honest, I really don't like the flaming space chicken. I really Mm -hmm. don't. I'm I'm sorry, I really shouldn't talk about Thor's mom this way, but it's just, she's she's, um, honestly the worst. Jason Aaron
4: is shaking right now. Jason
2: Aaron is shaking. (laughs) I'm telling you, Jason Aaron has a dartboard with random words on it, and he plays a game every (laughs) single night to see what the next issue of Avengers is gonna be about. We are, like, one bad throw away from Galactus being retconned Earth is Galactus's egg. I swear to God, right now, if you're listening, Earth is an egg, and we're gonna get there. They've done it before; no. they'll do it again.
4: No, Tom Taylor did that.
2: Did he do that?
4: He did I... that for Dark
2: Ages. <laughs> oh no, I haven't finished Dark Ages. God damn it! Um, oh, they also did it in Earth X, that Alex Ross one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that far off. Never mind. Don't listen to me. I'm actually quoting possible things.
0: Listen here, all oh. of you. The earth is hollow and there are dinosaurs inside of it. Does <laughs> no one read Jules Verne?
3: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I I also do not like it as a space chicken. I personally mm. like it as Gene, an expression of Gene's mm. power growing. Yeah. More so than like a imposter thing.
2: I yeah. feel like it, takes away from Jean if you make it just something she was harboring. It's like, she didn't have this power, she was just using cosmic forces that were beyond her control. It's like, no, I like it when it's literally her. I like her being so strong that she could tear apart planets. I think that's good. Good for her. Honestly, snaps. But, you know...
4: I'm, uh, I'm going to take a page out of Dallas's book and I'm going to use this to talk about my own favorite character. So like to anybody who's who's not in the know, one of my favorite characters is Iron Man. And a big part of that is because the crux of his character is dealing with the level of power he has and the accountability that comes with that. The fact that he's done a lot of horrible things in his past and he's always trying to make amends for that. And in that vein, I think, uh, if you look at all the the stories that come after that, like Hal Jordan becoming parallax and, and obviously dark Phoenix, I think it's way more interesting when you, when you make this Jean's own choice and something that she has to work her way back from, because y- you open up all of these narrative avenues for the character, because how can you make amends? Um, How does, how does the knowledge of this define you and how does your relationship to this power evolve over time? And I'd argue, uh, if, if the Phoenix wasn't a part of Jean, then we wouldn't have gotten Morrison's story down the line. And I think, uh, her character would be lesser without that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm all in favor of Phoenix and Jean being the same thing.
0: I agree. Stupid recon.
2: If you want a good analysis of some of those themes that Doug was talking about, definitely check out the comic *Irredeemable* because it definitely Ooh. has a few good moments with that. Talking about how you come back from something truly evil, and honestly, Jean Grey popped off worse than the Plutonian did. So that's that's saying something.
0: Listen here, I only read DC and Marvel comics.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's, the, that's the funniest thing you've ever said to me
0: Stop it right now I have to get back to reading New 52 Batgirl
2: <laughs> Okay but that's a good run though
0: Yeah All comics are good runs If they're from Marvel in DC <laughs> I don't want any of this fake crap
2: Okay Dallas Talk to us about Spider-Man Reign
0: Good comic <laughs> Had Spider-Man in it Ten out
4: of 10 and now i'd like to to take an hour-long tangent and explain why spider-man rain is actually spider-man's own dark phoenix saga and
1: that's where i step out everybody good uh, thank you
3: for coming
0: (laughs) this podcast episode is my dark phoenix saga i can feel myself (laughs) becoming more evil the longer it goes I'm going to become the Dark Phoenix.
2: No, I Lexi, feel like it's my. Yeah, honestly.
0: <laughs> what is the Dark Phoenix saga, if not the Jokerfication of? Oh no,
2: Lexi. <laughs> what do you think about the Phoenix as it stands right now? Do you know a lot about where the Phoenix is at the moment?
1: I don't. I do not partake of much media with Phoenix in it, which I feel sad about. But
0: no, you don't. You you oh. read the good ones.
2: Okay, good. Yep. Yeah. Not to spoil it for you, but it gets retconned. The Phoenix actually isn't Gene. it's a giant space cosmic entity that like brings life or death based on who's wielding it, and it gets passed around from person to person like an STD. Um, <laughs> and whoever has it basically has all the powers of the Phoenix. Right now, Maya Lopez, Echo. You might she was in Hawkeye.
3: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Yep, she has it right now in the comics for mm. reasons.
3: Mm.
2: And. Th- in its defense, that mini wasn't bad. That mini was actually kind of fun.
1: Don't love the idea of a space STD.
2: Yeah, no. It's also <laughs> Thor's mom. But, um... Yeah.
0: Ah. Uh, Odin boinked the phoenix in the year million BC. And that's where o- <laughs> Thor comes from, apparently. Love that. <laughs> I don't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I always thought right. he came like, a little egg, like a neopet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's, Thor is my Tamagotchi. <laughs> okay.
2: You didn't
1: have a Tamagotchi, don't lie.
0: Jean
4: just ran out of Neo points and that's why she became <laughs>
0: Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Listen, so Jean was playing Pop Tropica and... Question <laughs> <laughs> 3. <laughs> question three do you think some people even writers at marvel have completely misunderstood the main theme of the story as well as the themes of the phoenix as an entity it seems to me that multiple writers believe that the phoenix drives the host insane because of power but that was very much not the case in the dark phoenix saga Jean gray was mentally manipulated and assaulted and turned into dark phoenix was a trauma response i i agree with your sentiment there yeah. Mm-hmm. iron yeah you answered your own question and i you agree did. with you
2: that was very yeah. good well done I, I also think that's a good point because that's I don't think we brought that up enough. It's just like Jean going crazy was literally not just like a snap, just nothing that happened on this turn of a dime or anything like that. It was definitely brought on by so much abuse. And that's where I think just if this story is just by itself, that does it so much better than something like House of M, where we just decide that Scarlet Witch is crazy one day because reasons.
0: Yeah. Happens off panel.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing you could have seen coming.
0: And the final question. What do you think about Emma's role in Jean's assault? Personally, I believe that while, yes, she was manipulated into doing it by Shaw and the rest of the men from the Hellfire Club, she was still complicit in the assault of a young woman. They never talked about it. And in New X-Men, Jean is often seen as a bitch for being rough with Emma. But most people fail to consider that the woman who was complicit in her assault, which ultimately led to her death, was now seducing her husband. I would be incredibly mad as well if I was her.
2: Um, I'm not sure if a lot of Jean's because I, I haven't finished it, I'm not sure if a lot of Jean's problems with Emma in that run specifically was about her seducing Scott because doesn't she basically give Scott like the, the thumbs up at the end like, hey, you can go boink Emma, I don't care, just I'm going to go does, do this, that shit.
0: She does give yieldy Phoenix thumbs up to kissing on her grave. So Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, It doesn't feel like a topic that anyone feels equipped to handle. Yeah. I personally would not touch that with a 10-foot pole as a writer. Yeah.
4: Definitely not. I mean, going back to Emma's quote-unquote death earlier, I honestly think they intended her as like a one-off character until Mm -hmm. Claremont decided to bring her back. And I, I, I don't think much thought would have been gone into how this this character evolved over time. Um, but yeah, that's a very interesting point. It's, it's something that I can't really wrap my mind around either.
2: Uh, look at Claremont saving all my favorite blondes because he saw potential in them. He brought Emma back, he saw potential. He brought Carol back and made her a part of the X-Men because he's like, they did her dirty, I'm keeping her, she stays a thing. I have my my blonde bitches today because claremont (laughs) is a godsend i do like
0: the 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 famous quote from chris claremont was whenever they were creating a new character Mm -hmm. chris would ask is there any reason this character can't be a woman and it became enough of a thing that i've read that in the back of like three different marvel issues making fun of chris claremont it was a common enough question that he had (laughs) which i think is cool
2: i like that yeah good guy chris
0: good guy chris grumpy guy but good guy
3: (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) that's all right
0: (laughs) do we want to read the next
2: questions yes um glenn's i think glenn's will be pretty fast but the next one is from joshua gomez hello x collective so listen hear me out one dark phoenix saga rocky horror picture show scott is brad gina's janet mastermind is dr frank dark phoenix is rocky what do we think? Any Rocky Horror Picture Show fans on the podcast tonight, besides the the queer? <laughs> I got nothing. I've been
4: around the block. I I do think that's a, a fitting metaphor.
2: <laughs> That'd be a it'd be a really good variant cover. I wouldn't mind seeing a yeah. music video with them <laughs> singing a song or two, but um honestly If,
4: if anything I, though, I think the Hellions are more of the Rocky Horror analogue.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's about right. I could, Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just I'm picturing Mr. Sinister dressed up as Dr. Frankenferter in that first song. If okay, Marvel, listen, if you give me a panel of Dr. Sinister saying I'm a transsexual transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, a thousand dollars. All the money. That's all I need Ru- in the world. Rocky okay.
4: horror, but they're all just Mr Sinister. <laughs> frankenfurter's sinister rocky is sinister brad is sinister
0: that's what all the phones are for
2: (laughs) yeah exactly that's what i'm saying the the best use of them yet so (laughs) (laughs) there should be a rocky horror picture show in kakroa every night there's no excuse not for there to be it's not like they're
1: doing anything (laughs)
2: yeah Yeah, they're definitely not making more mutants anyway to cut this one out if i'm out of line or more likely you all have already addressed it but like how are we feeling about the Essentially, the female orgasm being the most destructive power in the universe, and a woman who can't slash won't give it up being condemned until she eventually decides everyone is right and she takes her own life. Anyways, gracias a todos, Joshua Gomez. Um, yeah, we've already kind of covered that a bit, just like the parallels between this and a woman discovering her own sexuality, being confident in that sexuality, and how it's very much threatening to men, and how it... Has a lot of negative repercussions when that happens, but um, woman or a woman's orgasm being the strongest force in the universe, like snaps, awesome, Pop off. <laughs> go off. Mm-hmm. The Dark Phoenix
0: saga-, saga could have been solved by a single magic wand vibrator,
2: <laughs> <laughs> the kind that plugs yeah. into
0: the wall, not the one with the batteries. Send
2: tweet (laughs) I love the ultimate power in the universe Being one that Ben Shapiro could never possess
1: Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You did it You got Dallas I finally got Dallas I finally got him That was the realest laugh That I've ever heard come out of that man Everything else before was fake (laughs)
3: And just, straight up, up, up in
2: the
4: air. and just straight up Dark Phoenix, Ben <laughs> Shapiro.
2: <That was> ben <laughs> I'll, I'll Shapiro comes in and he's
0: like, Dark Phoenix can't find a woman's orgasm and she gets celebrated for it. I can't find it and I become the villain.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Joshua, oh, I know I'm you gonna... have a serious question, but I don't... <laughs> That was the best answer. That was the world. best
2: answer. I hope you're happy with it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And on that note, I'll be announcing my resignation from the Comics Collective, and <laughs> no. on a high note, I like to say. <laughs> um, so anyone have any more thoughts about that That final point?
4: Uh, just that going off of what you said before, I'm now picturing Ben Shapiro dressed as um, a Shaw ponytail and
0: everything no he's Mr. he's mastermind in that little weird burlap sack oh that's
2: right yeah <laughs> okay that's perfect <laughs> i love how mastermind and wolverine make the same noises <laughs> <laughs> listen there's a good <laughs> and a bad <sighs>
0: oh. they I'll occupy for the, the same darkness. mass
4: one's just really small one's just really tall
0: small Beautiful. and tall
2: Lexi, would you like to do the honors of reading our Glenn question of the week? Of course I would. All right. I would first Dark. like
0: to apologize for not including the Glenn question of the week music last week. I forgot to edit what? it in. Um, Criminal. This mm-hmm. is unforgivable. This is the kind of thing that you you think <laughs> it could never be me. I could never <laughs> make that mistake. And yet, here I am. And so I wanted to take this moment to Apologize not only to Glenn, but to the listeners, to our doting fans. Um, I will never make that mistake again unless I do. Thank (laughs) you.
2: All
4: right, get off your soapbox. This is my episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We went so long that we now can't put the theme in. Thanks for that, Dallas.
1: All right. Dark Phoenix questions. Dear X Rather podcast. Number one. X Men is my main big two knowledge gap. What big franchise gaps do you guys have? Number two, best Phoenix Force avatar. Not sure if that's what you call them. Besides Jean. Number three, which was the worst Phoenix adaptation? X Three or X Men Dark Phoenix?
2: Um, I'm gonna hit number two first, just cause it's it's Rachel. It's a thousand percent Rachel. Um, someone yeah. described Rachel once as like what Jean was always meant to be, but never allowed to be.
4: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Alessian. Wait, so was,
4: was number two your knowledge gap?
2: Oh, or... no. N- number one was knowledge gap. Number two is who okay. is the best Phoenix avatar.
0: Got it. Okay.
2: So what's everyone's big knowledge
0: gap?
1: Almost everything that hasn't been done on this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the X-Men is still... I still consider the X-Men mine. It's the one where I'm like, I'm still the most hesitant just because there's so much history... So much happening, and like podcasts like Cerebro have really helped me. Um, cause it's just trying to get all that down is just such a daunting task. And I'm still like, whenever I speak on the X Men, I always like have like a little asterisk after I speak. Cause I'm like, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. And I also, yeah, that's, that's was, mine.
4: I'm, I'm right there with you because, um, like I, I've been reading X Men since I was in, I want to say grade school, mm-hmm. but for everything I've read, there's, they're about like to the power of nine things that I've never heard of. They're like a billion ages of apocalypse. And I don't know how they had the time to write all of that, but I don't know. I, I also think it's fascinating kind of going back and, and filling out every little piece of the lore. Cause there's always more to find.
0: I, am not as confident with the dc universe as i am with Mm. marvel or creator-owned comics like i have probably read like 10 percent of the stuff and like you're more likely to throw a dart at a dartboard and hit a thing that i haven't read than i have read with dc Uh,
2: that's why i'm here that is true i I help
0: somebody gotta read the trash
1: Goodness!
0: Whoa! That was so
1: mean. You can see the hurt in her eyes.
2: Boom! <laughs> you will not survive the next crisis. You're getting retconned. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They'll bring me back in the next one. The Dallas somehow who laughs. edgier. <laughs> yeah, I'll come back as Black Lantern, Dallas. <laughs> Uh, just kidding there's some i've had a lot of fun reading dc the last two years i really have like by no means have i read every marvel thing but i really got to a point where i was like i've read a lot of what i wanted to read and so (laughs) i have shifted over to their funky little cousin dc and been like man a lot of this is good period period mark
2: (laughs) we'll find it we'll find the run that breaks you we'll do it
0: <laughs> gotham central is great i really gotham
2: like central is great
0: i really like gotham and i know that's like the basic answer but mm-hmm. like i like what happens over in that place yeah
2: you still i still really haven't read like gotham spy.
4: academy though have you
2: oh I, gotham academy that's on my oh, to-do list too
4: I've not. it's so good i love it so much we're
2: that's gonna get good. you to read um checkmate and that's gonna be the one spy book that like really clicks with you i feel I ho- it i hope so
0: I've been flirting with Brubaker, Captain America again. i like, maybe I just missed it the first time. Thanos. Maybe I misjudged you too harshly. <laughs> there are generally a lot of comic books that I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship with. Where I'm like, I don't really like you, but maybe if I tried harder, that's Captain America by Ed Baker. <laughs> Number two, find your
4: they- Emma. You got to find your Emma Dallas. I do.
0: My Emma's creator owned comics. <laughs>
2: are there any other avatars that you all like as much as, or more than Gene?
4: Oh gosh. I, um... it's funny because the Phoenix is actually another blind spot of mine. Um, I'll say that like Gene is definitely my favorite, but another interesting uh, depiction that I've had is when Cyclops had it in, uh, in secret wars. Because it feels very much like the the raw power that Gene was fighting against, but like wholly unleashed. Because he's he's just doing anything and everything to save his people. And he is a force of nature doing that.
2: Mm-hmm. I like that. And now for Dallas and Lexi's consideration, I'm going to walk back my Rachel thoughts for just a second. Because I just remembered that Avengers vs. X-Men exists and I would like to pose, <laughs> um, Phoenix Emma Frost. And I just Ooh. texted you the outfit, and I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. Holy shit. <laughs> that was an yeah. actual thing that happened, yeah. yeah. She wins.
4: Didn't think about that, because I have blocked AVX out of my memory.
2: <laughs> it's okay. Phoenix Namor was just about as revealing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bro, you, can <laughs>
0: see, you can see her coochie lips. Yes, you can. There is I'm... a breeze. Mm-hmm. Bro, she gets a crosswind and it's like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: I don't know. I feel like I'm not a prude, but I, I do not like that outfit. I like Namor's,
2: so. though.
1: Especially because it looks like it might be metal. <laughs> Wouldn't that be kind of cold?
2: Bro. A little bit, yeah. A little chilly. But she's on fire all the time when she's wearing it, so it's, okay, it, it balances
1: true. out. It's a little
2: counterintuitive. Mm-hmm.
4: And she'd be burned all the time, though. Because that metal
2: heats up. Yep, it's definitely not and her best be look. It's, it's not
4: good in any weather.
2: <laughs> this is not summer wear, This is not winter wear. This is nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> never. This is never wear. Also, great Neil Gaiman book. Anyways. Yes. Do we have any thoughts? Has anyone seen both these movie adaptations? They can comment on them.
1: Have not.
4: I have. Um... oh boy i'll say for everything uh the last stand does wrong and it does a lot wrong dark phoenix manages to do more wrong (laughs) it's really like it's really just a different kind of bad for me
3: Mm,
4: i i agree with you like i i'll just watch x-men evolution and say that's my (laughs) dark phoenix saga
2: perfect i love that the only good thing X Men The Last Stand did was when um, Elliot Page is taunting Juggernaut, and Juggernaut's like, Do you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut bitch. And then you can just stop the movie right there <laughs> because you've hit, you've hit peak cinema, and nothing will yeah. ever surpass it ever again. It's,
4: it's all downhill from there.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right.
0: We. Marty could never. <laughs> we do. Final questions. We did get a late submission from Eric Azana oh. that I did not get to anybody Ooh. yet. And there are some important ones, and we love Eric. So, okay, hey, Eric. He did, he did send a bunch, but I'm just going to hit two of them. Uh, the first one is Why is Doug so handsome? Inspiring minds want to know. I think oh, it's the question. beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. he cuts his own hair and does such a good job. It blows my Oh, cow. my God. Like, that sick I- fade you see there, the man did it himself. It's bananas. Thank you. Doug is awesome. I also think he's very dapper. He always shows up in great outfits whenever we hang out. I'm always like, look Mm at that guy go. He also has a cool pair of Doc Martens. And he also grooms his beard well, which is a big deal. Like there's growing a beard and then there's Mm -hmm. grooming a beard. And you can see it. It's a well-kept gentleman. (laughs) And I think you look like Charlie Cox. (laughs) Send I really do. Thanks, you. The first time I saw you in real life, I went, is that Charlie Cox? What the hell?
4: Oh, <laughs> I was unprepared for this question. Thank you, Eric.
0: <laughs> Final Eric question. Uh, considering much of the story takes place in space. What are your thoughts on more space stories for the X-Men going forward? I myself am really excited for X-Men Red to develop, but getting back to the Shi'ar, Space Jammers, and other cosmic threats feels like a natural progression for this era. I love Spacemen.
2: I like space. Yeah. I'm going to be anti that. I'm not a big fan of the X-Men and the Shi'ar. I almost never have fun with the X-Men and the Shi'ar. I don't know what it is. Look, whenever they show up, they show up to fuck my life. <laughs> and, that's, and I'm just like, I have bad memories of you. I I thought you were going to finish that that
4: sentence with Professor X. (laughs) (laughs) They do
2: that too. They they do that too. (laughs) (laughs) Professor X does the fuck. Anyway, um, yeah, no. um, (laughs) She are not good, but I am excited for X-Men Red.
0: I am too. I love Space X-Men, but that's all.
4: Send. You know, I'll I'll agree with you, and in that, like, I love X Men in space, but the Shi'ar are kind of a weird beast. They mm. almost like they came in very lore heavy. Oh yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's like one of the parts of X Men that Hickman didn't touch, which I find fascinating.
0: Yeah, because I feel like he could
4: have he could have just really
0: mm.
4: gotten around and and worked in that, but you know. I agree, though. Um, X-Men in space, but no Shi'ar. Please.
2: <laughs> I think Hickman had his Shi'ar fill after, like, Fantastic Four and Infinity. Ooh,
0: that's true. Fine, I'll say it. The episode is over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, we just, like, talking to each other. Oh, his <laughs> wife there goes the lights. off the lights. <laughs> okay, anyways, let's wrap it up. Um, All right,
0: let's read these last things. Let's I'll, do our thing. Right.
1: All right, everyone, if you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics at Ann Comics and at Lexi Lou underscore comics.
0: If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five star review. We'll read it off on the show. We got some, one of which was Alexis, who said that she was the best member of the show.
2: So there we go. So. not, it, it's true. Yeah. She right. <laughs> um, and finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And before we go, Doug, thank you so much for being on today. You're always welcome here. You're fantastic. Where can the people find you online?
4: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. My channel is for every kind of geek, and you can also find me on Twitter at every kind of geek.
0: Yeah. His YouTube is He's wonderful. Bad. And he Man. has an inferno episode coming up that's gonna yeah, blow wanna,
1: like listen yeah, to that one. Gonna
0: blow that's your mind.
1: Right, but...
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good one. I've read the script, everyone, and you're in for a treat.
1: Very fun. Very fun. All right. <laughs> and tune in next week for our episode on X-Men number seven.
0: A single issue episode. <laughs> single <laughs>
1: Good, yeah, it better be 30 minutes long. Just yeah, they never are.
0: <laughs> we just okay. too chatty.
1: That's true. Right. <laughs> we just like each other too much. All
0: I right. love you, everyone. Toodle. Bye, everyone.
1: Bye.